Hey y'all, welcome back to a Thursday, July 28th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, presented by Blue Wire Pods. I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. We got a two-part program for you guys today. We start off talking a lot of Cincinnati Bearcats, all kinds of fun stuff with where Cincinnati is a program and how they just build off their playoff appearance last year with Luke Fickles got right with the Falcons having Desmond Ritter, uh, the quarterback competition in Cincinnati uh, this summer, um, what the schedule looks like for Cincy, um, the move to the Big 12. So a lot, a lot of fun with uh, ESPN's Mo Egger coming on uh, this edition of the program. So thank you, Demo, for, for making the time today. It was a fun episode, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. Uh, we got a two-parter here on the program today, part two. Uh, fellow University of North Georgia alumni Matt Green on all things college football. We do our Pac-12 preview uh, along with some other stuff, uh, but a lot, a lot of fun here. Uh, all college football all day today here on the Thursday, July 28th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas podcast. Uh, don't forget folks, you can watch this very program on YouTube, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas podcast, like, and subscribe, all that good stuff. Check us out on the YouTube content front. Uh, tweet at me at chase double underscore thomas like the facebook page at facebook.com slash chase thomas writer uh go to the homepage chase thomas podcast.com and then of course if you want to get in touch with the show mailbag stuff questions for me chase thomas podcast at gmail.com all right let's get this thursday show rolling with mo all right uncle darren let's go chase thomas podcast the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right, we're back here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, taping this on a Wednesday night. Mo Edgar, first time here in the, in the I was going to say in the studio. You know what it was? I'm looking at your studio, so I'm like, he's in the studio. No, Mo's not in the studio. Daddy, I'm in Knoxville. <laughs> not that far. Not crazy far, but Mo, uh, good to see you, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I've made that drive before, so uh, you're right. It's It's not that bad. What's going on? How bad is it? I mean, how long is it? I've never made the drive. Um, if you drive the way I do, it's, you can do it in less than four. I've done that. Uh, I've done it four times, I think. Mm. Uh, I know that I, I went to a game at UT in 2015 Mm. and the Bengals had a one o'clock kickoff and, uh, I woke up not on time and I still made kickoff that involves some, uh, aggressive driving by me, but I, I think you can do that in four and be. And, 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 and have maybe some time to spare. There you go. Um, how has the recent rise in Cincinnati football affected fandom for the Bengals? Has it just been a revitalization for both sides? Because the Bengals, I mean, now a Super Bowl team and with Burrow and everything, like, is it just, how do people, I, I'm just curious because this is a rare kind of thing where, I mean, I think there's a lot of crossover between Bearcat and Bengals fans, but with that kind of dominance the last couple of years, has that kind of affected one fan base more than the other that you've noticed? Well, you know, you have people who are Bengals fans, but they're not Bearcat fans. I mean, you have to understand there is a, a large, large Ohio state footprint here. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I certainly know Bengals fans who aren't really UC fans. And I, and I also know a lot of UC fans who aren't necessarily Bengals fans either because, you know, maybe they went to UC and stayed in Cincinnati, but they're not from Cincinnati or because the Bengals were so bad for so long that they maybe gravitated toward their alma mater, but uh, didn't care so much about the the pro team in town. 
and then there's obviously a, a pretty significant overlap. And and for those folks, uh, and I consider myself among them, but, but for mm. those folks, you know, last year was a dream come true. Um, you know, and, and frankly, the Bengals making the Super Bowl might have always seemed extraordinarily unlikely, but of the two things that happened last year, UC playing in the college football playoff and the Bengals mm. playing in a Super Bowl, um, I always kind of figured the Bengals would stumble into a Super Bowl in my lifetime. Mm. Uh, never in my wildest dreams did I ever really think that the University of Cincinnati would play in the college football playoff. And so those two things happening at the same time created an excitement and I think a confidence that this town desperately needed that was really, really fun to to kind of be a part of and has continued. I mean, you know, there's uh, high expectations for the Bengals and you know, pretty big expectations for UC, not just on the field in 2022, but obviously with the uh, the impending move to the Big 12, a lot of excitement over that as well. How has the pending move to the Big 12 affected recruiting and just kind of the the vibe on campus? Has Fickle talked about that at all, just like what that adds? I mean, obviously everything's in a state of flux because college football is uh, really broken at the moment, but um in terms of what you've seen thus far, do you think that it has had a sizable impact on recruiting and where the direction of the university is going? Yeah. Now I'll say this. I don't think it's impacted the type of recruit that UC has tried to get. You know, if you compare the Luke Fickle to his predecessor, Tommy Tuberville, which was not good. Um, <clears throat> I remember Tommy Tuberville's last signing day and him bemoaning the fact that, um, their 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 signing day wasn't that good. Now, as mm-hmm. it turned out, some of the guys he got actually ended up being part of the program's turnaround. But he was openly talking about how, you know, look, there's there's just a certain level of kid that we have to ask: is it even worth our time to go and recruit specifically mm-hmm. in this geographic area? They did not recruit Cincinnati, Southwest Ohio, and this region all that well. And Luke Fickle came in, and this is years before the Big Twelve became reality came in and said, screw it, we're going to take some big swings and look, we're going to miss, you know, but mm. but we've got to be in the conversation with the best players in this area. And so, yeah, you know what? Most of those dudes are going to go to Ohio State or Michigan or Notre Dame or someplace like that, but we're going to swing big. And then, you know, the success they've had since has put them in the conversation with guys that I think five or six years ago you would have said UC has no business being in that conversation. So, I don't think it's really going to change uh, Luke Fickle and his staff, the way they recruit. They've always been, you know, aiming really high. They've been trying to get kids who have offers from some of the, the, the most prominent schools in the country. Obviously it enables you to maybe spread your wings a little bit more geographically, the more lucrative nature of the con of the, the conference and, and what it's going to do financially is only going to bolster their ability to get things done that will only help recruiting, um, they want to build a, a football, a, a facility dedicated to football only, uh, mm. which they don't have right now. Um, but you know, honestly, the recruiting momentum has been building for so long that if you watch the program, the coaches will tell you, yes, uh, to go into a kid's home and have, you know, a big 12 logo on your pullover certainly doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. But the recruiting momentum has been building for so long that it really doesn't feel or seem any different than, you know, what we were talking about before the Big 12 news became official. 
What do you think is the biggest, you mentioned that they're taking the bigger swings and that they're not afraid. And like here, I'm in Knoxville and that's something that we wondered about with Hypo with recruiting and how he would approach it. And um, they're going into Georgia. They're not afraid to go into Bama. They're not afraid to go into those recruiting battles with those big dogs, which is something that they kind of had to do. Um, if you really want to get back into it, you have to chase the Nico Yama Maliavas of the world and you got him. But I think it's interesting if you're a Cincinnati, which is a completely different situation, you're going into those rooms and those battles with those big time players. What do you think the pitch is? Do you think that kids, because I talked to so many different coaches and getting their different perspectives on recruiting and how they talk to kids and the kids and how they approach recruiting in general. It's like, I'm very curious to know what do you like, what you think Luke Fickle's pitch is to guys who, you know, and he knows are getting uh, chased by Ohio State, Notre Dame, guys like that. Like, what do you like? What do you sell to a 17, 16 year old kid who may not care as much about the wins? Who may not care as much? Is it the draft? Is it that like Sauce Gardner, Bryant, uh, Desmond Ritter all just got drafted? In that it's hey, this is an opportunity for you to get in the league. I will take care of you here. I will develop you, and we will turn you into an NFL player. Like, is that the main thing? What do you think it is? I think it's they for the first time maybe in the program's history. If if you go into a in a kid's living room or sit down with them and all right, there are certain boxes you figure that the kid is going to want to check, and maybe he doesn't want to check them all. But okay, mm-hmm. is it get to the NFL? Well, you can get to the NFL from the University of Cincinnati, and you know, I mean, Sauce Gardner was an outlier because he was a first round pick. But it's it's not like UC football just started sending dudes to the NFL. I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, the Kelsey brothers, Trent Cole. I mean, there's there's a pretty healthy list of guys who have had some degree of success in this league. Brent Selleck. But yeah, I mean, you know, what, what happened in the draft this year helps and helps mm-hmm. immensely. So, okay, is it the NFL? All right, do you uh, you want to play in high-profile games on national TV? Well, you know, that that's, that's a thing here. Uh, do you want to win? Well, I mean, the, the program the last couple of years, they haven't lost a regular season game. Uh, they played in the college football playoff. They've won two consecutive conference championships. Uh, the win-loss record over the last four years has been uh, phenomenal. Um, specifically for, for kids in this area, there is something about playing close to home. And, and so, all right, is it that? Is it play close to home? And, you know, I'm old enough to remember what it was like when, you know, no one went to UC football games. Nippert Stadium was badly outdated. They were never on television for a while. They weren't in a conference it was laughable to suggest that you would play at UC and play in front of more than a half empty stadium. But I think specifically for kids here, you want to play in front of a lot of fans here in Cincinnati. All right, we can do that. The NIL thing, frankly, I think is a little bit of a work in progress, but it is for everybody. But I think if you're a high profile player at UC, you're going to have those opportunities. And, And now maybe the last box that they couldn't check off, which is, do you want to play in a conference that matters? Well, after this year, uh, the University of Cincinnati is going to play in a conference that matters, certainly more than the AAC. And then, you know, okay, well, it's, hey, do you want a chance to play for a national championship? You know, we, we're in an area here. Uh, the University of Kentucky is is about an hour and 45 minutes to our south end. The University of Louisville is about two hours uh, southwest. And Indiana University is is in the region. And, you know, I mean, those are – those are power five schools, but I think you have a hard time saying if you go to any of them, you could play for a national championship. That's no knock on those programs. It's, it's merely a statement about the league Indiana's in, uh, the league that Kentucky is in. And, and by the way, Mark Stoops has done a really good job, but 
you know, I think if, if you're, if you're in the region and you're looking at those schools and the kid is like, well, I want to go to a place where I could play for a national title. That happened here. Now, mm. okay, is Cincinnati in the same conversation with Alabama and Ohio State and Georgia and a handful of others? No, but 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 who is? So I, I I sort of feel like the pitch they can sort of refine it depending on the kid, and I don't think that was always the case. I think when Luke first got here, the pitch was you're going to play, right? Mm. Well, now you know you 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 might have to wait, but they're going to give you an opportunity and. And so, yeah, you know, you can play in front of a lot of fans, but you're going to be playing in a in a crummy league with not a lot of exposure. Okay, well, you're you're getting rid of that. And for a while, it was, well, come to UC and help re-energize the fan base, which is great. Except, wait a minute, the fan base isn't built in. That's not the case anymore. I feel like what they've been able to do since the 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 current uh, regime took over is they've been able to slowly sort of adjust the pitch to whatever the kid's priority is. Hmm. Uh, and that hasn't always been the case. That's interesting. Is there one uh, one or two names from this upcoming recruiting class that uh, you're most excited about seeing on campus? Um, well, the, the the there's two, and frankly, uh, neither come from high school. I think the first hmm. one would be Corey Kiner, um, hmm. who played uh, Roger Bacon High School here in Cincinnati. And y- you talk about a, a transformation in um, – the coaching and recruiting philosophy, Corey Kiner is the type of player, even from Cincinnati, that I don't think the previous regime would have even tried to get. And the coaching staff here established a relationship with him. Corey obviously ultimately did go to LSU, but looking to leave LSU, comes back to the University of Cincinnati. And I, I think he gives them uh, a really interesting and dynamic uh, backfield this year. But the other name, you know, the, the big story this offseason has been, well, who's the quarterback going to be? And, you know, they, they have a really interesting battle between their their most highly touted recruit ever in Evan Prater, mm. who was the backup last year, and Ben Bryant. And Ben played last season at Eastern Michigan. But prior to going, at East, going to Eastern Michigan, he played here. You know, he, mm. he started a game uh, in 2019 in the regular season finale against Memphis. And so – they basically sent him down to AAA, and he goes to Eastern Michigan. He gathers a season's worth of experience. He had a good year. I wouldn't say he had a great year. He had a good year, but that dynamic, um, obviously, we're talking about two guys who are not new to college football, but one of them is going to be new to the role they're thrust in, where if, if it's Ben, it's a team that's probably going to be ranked, should be considered league favorite, and is coming off two consecutive years in which they did not lose a regular season game, and he's replacing the what the second quarterback taken in the draft this past year, or it's Evan Prater, who is incredibly short on experience, incredibly long on athleticism and raw talent. I think the way that plays out is going to be fascinating to pay attention to. That doesn't so much answer your question about incoming freshmen, but honestly, those are to me, if you're making it about newcomers or people moving into new roles, those are the two guys that for me uh, lead the conversation. That's interesting because I mean, when you look at Ritter, obviously, with his wins and how long he had that job, I wonder if that is a factor at all, where you're just like, hey, we don't worry about like just throwing him into the fire here, Prater, and just being like, no, he can just play right now. Like, if it, we're going to have the best man play, and even if that means we lose a couple of games, we might not with a veteran, someone we trust a little bit more, like, that's fine. We'll take our lumps, and I would rather have this guy ready to go and go through his lumps now 
and then still have him for three more years. Like, is that something that they would consider just because of the success that Ritter had just kind of growing into the role and just, I mean, obviously the all-time wins leader at UC, but like he he piled him up. And I, I don't know if a lot of college football fans know just how many wins and how dominant Desmond Ritter really was as a starter. Yeah, you know, I think you make a good point, and it's it's why I'm really intrigued uh, by the possibility of Prater being the guy because I think if if you were to look at the two side by side right now, who's the better pure passer? It's it's Ben. Mm. Who's got more experience? It's Ben. Um, who's a, a little bit more capable of helping you win on the road? Week one at Arkansas, probably Ben. But I think I like to use history as a guide. In 2018, Desmond Ritter. Uh, charged out onto the field week one. They're playing UCLA on the road and the Bearcats won that game. And it it was, Des had something to do with it. There's no question, but boy, you almost never wanted him to throw. And that Mm -hmm. first year uh, they won 11 games. They made a bowl game. The expectations for that season were, you know, maybe they'll go six and six and sneak sneak into some crappy bowl. And as it turned out, they had a great year and, well, they still played in a bad bowl game, but but the um, the team was good enough mm-hmm. to allow Des to certainly contribute to the wins, but they often won games in spite of him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he gathered experience that I think really paid off those last two years. And so, you know, there were times in 2018 and even 2019 where we would wonder, God, does it make sense to at least play somebody else for a series or God, you know what? Des really struggled in the first half. Why don't they put in somebody else in the second half in 2019? The other option was Ben Bryant mm-hmm. and Luke fickle remained uh, steadfast, extraordinarily loyal to Des never wavered. And I think there was a payoff to that the last two years when he was, you know, the, the offensive player of the year in the AAC. So I look at this year's team. I think this year's team is better than 2018. Hmm. Um, you know, the elephant in the room is in 2018, They their best non-league, toughest non-league game was at UCLA year one of Chip Kelly. Arkansas on the road is going to be a little bit of a different animal, but I think this year's team is good enough to win a conference championship regardless of who the quarterback is. Hmm. And so I kind of am intrigued by the idea of kind of running it back. And Evan Prater gains experience. Uh, the team is good enough to win in spite of his lack of experience. But then there's a payoff next year and 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 the year after that, and I because I've seen that play out with Des now, Evan Prater uh, should beg the football gods to have as good of a career as Des Ritter did. But I I kind of am intrigued by that blueprint now. Okay, what about Week One? Because that's all anybody cares about right now. Well, okay, if you're prioritizing beating Arkansas and they're seven and a half point underdogs as as we do this. If you're prioritizing going on the road, SEC opponent, week one, well, chances are you want the guy that's won a college football game, and so that's Ben Bryant. And then the question, I think, becomes how long is the leash? Is there a role for Evan in the offense at some point this year? But but I do think, big picture, I think there's something to be said about win some games this year and let your quarterback gain experience even if it comes at the expense of putting out there your your best your best possible chance to win week one. That's interesting. Um, where are you leaning? What do you think he ultimately does against Arkansas? Who do you think is under center first snap against Arkansas? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this, because whenever this topic comes up, somebody will say, well, do you think 
do you think they'll hesitate to to have Ben be the guy because they'll be afraid that Evan Prater is then going to hit the portal? I, Luke Fickle couldn't care less. The you and I both hmm. know there, there's a handful of coaches that uh, don't don't they'll make that decision based on okay, OMG, this guy's going to hit the portal. And then there's a handful of coaches who are very secure with themselves and secure with their employment, and they don't care if Evan Prater, and I don't think Evan would do this, but mm-hmm. if, if, if Evan Prater would say, well, if I'm not the starter, I'm going to hit the portal, they would say PC. I, that's, so that's not going to be a part of the equation. I don't think Ben Bryant came here, came back here. I don't think he left a gig in which he was a starting quarterback uh, to be the backup. And mm. my, my guess is um, that it is going to be a legitimate competition. And I do think from talking to people that in spring ball, Evan closed the gap but it still feels like it's Ben's job to lose. Hmm. And again, it's, it's one thing if they're playing an FCS school or if they're playing um, nothing against uh, the Miami Red Hawks, but they, they play Miami week three rivalry game. It's, it's one thing if they're playing at home, hmm. um, they're on the road against an SEC opponent that could be pretty good. So my guess is they're going to defer to the kid that has experience that came back, but, Luke has had these quarterback competitions before that you knew really weren't competitions. This is not one of them. I think, I think Evan does have a legitimate chance to be the guy, but he's going to have to leapfrog Ben in order to do that. And I just don't, I don't know if, if that's going to happen. That's fascinating. Um, when you see Colin Kaepernick as his uh, comparison uh, onto four, seven sports for Prater, do you, do you see that with him and what you've seen so far? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, um, purely athleticism, pure athleticism. The the comparisons are apt, um, and it's always been interesting. They've they've never even really entertained the idea that he's you know going to play another position. Uh, he mm. is trained to be a quarterback. I'll, I'll be honest with you. We we haven't had a chance to see him as a thrower in in a situation that counts. You know, last year, for as good as the Bearcats were, they had a couple of games in the middle of the season that you thought they'll steamroll these guys, pull the main dudes, and then give a chance to some of the younger guys to get some playing time. Uh, this is what we were thinking going into when they played Navy and when they played Tulane. And, and you know, they won those games. And I'm not even sure those games were ever seriously in doubt, but I do think that the inability to put those teams away cost Evan a chance to show what he could do throwing the ball. Um, in the limited opportunities that he had, he, he did fine, but it was frankly garbage time uh, and, and often not with or against first stringers. But I mean, if you're looking for just a dude who sort of looks the part of uh, a college, a later on college version of Colin Kaepernick, Evan Prater would be somebody that you would you would look at. Um, but we just it's the one thing about last year that I I wish would have unfolded differently. I wish there would have been a game or two in the middle of the season where they just you know, they're up 42-3, 10 in, or five minutes into the third quarter, and they pull Dez, Evan plays, they let him throw, and he gets, you know, some reps, and we get a chance to see. And unfortunately, that uh, that just didn't happen. So the Falcons have Desmond Ritter in the building now. I'm a Falcons guy, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm curious, from someone who watched every snap of uh, Desmond Ritter's, what are the Falcons getting in Ritter? Well, I'll be honest with you. I love Des Ritter. Uh, love him as a guy. Love him as a competitor. Love him as a leader. Um, you're not going to find any of his teammates. You're not going to find anybody here who who doesn't really like and isn't rooting hard for for Des Ritter. And hmm. 
um, watching him ascend from, you know, a, a player who was a successful college quarterback to a guy who was being talked about as a pro prospect to then somebody who was briefly being talked about as maybe a first round pick. I'll admit to you, I never watched him and thought first round pick first round NFL draft choice, right? Just that's no knock on the guy Um, in a different quarterback class. You you know, who knows if, if he goes even as high as the third round, but he's still a work in progress as a passer. Um, It's interesting. The he's, he's, he got so much better at throwing the deep ball, but where you saw him uh, demonstrate some deficiencies at time at times were with the intermediate stuff mm-hmm. makes good decisions. Um, he's not going to kill you with a bunch of balls that he forces into windows that aren't there. Um, he obviously, you know, his athleticism, the Cincinnati, the, the coaching staff last year, knowing the kind of season they could have really um, cut back on the number of design runs. And, and I think, in, in the Alabama game in the college football playoff to their detriment, because I wish they would have sort of uh, reopened those, that, that part of the playbook. Mm. But I, I think what I worry about is look, I, I think, I think, I think Des could play quarterback in the NFL for a long time. I, I don't think you're, you're talking about a dude who, you know, three or four years from now, you look back and go, man, the Atlanta Falcons were transformed because of Des Ritter. And, and so mm. clearly he's going to get a chance. What I worry about is, um, that the Falcons are going to be really bad, and then there's going to be C.J. Stroud, and hmm. it would be a no-brainer to take him, and then, all right, well, what do you do with Dez? But, you know, I, I watched him get better and better and better all four years. I know how hard he's going to work. Uh, I, I, I know that he'll... Uh, shut up and do his job and watch Marcus Mariota, and I mean, I, he'll he'll do all that stuff. I do wonder how close he is to his ceiling as a pure passer. Um, I think that's a fair question. I think that's why he ultimately did fall to the third round, mm-hmm. but um, I'm rooting for him and I can't find anybody who isn't. And uh, I'm interested to see when he becomes a starter and how much of an opportunity he gets and selfishly, uh, because I want him to be the guy. I want him to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. I hope they're good enough that, you know, he he merits kind of making the guy full time next year. I'm excited. I have no idea which way it's going to go. I think this is going to be a really really interesting season. And I mean, it, the the like it depends on the offensive line and that sort of thing. But I mean, Drake London and Kyle Pitts. It's a pretty good situation in that uh, regard. And um, I don't know. I think Dez is a huge interesting wild card for this year because he could play nothing like we could never see him in Mariota gets all 17 games or we could see him pretty early um due to Mariota getting hurt or something so I have no idea what to expect out of Des um right out of the gate here but um we shall see uh something that I think is curious uh that I'm curious about from your perspective because Fickle's gotten so many things right Mo like Mm -hmm. he is just obviously revitalized this program has uh I mean a lot of folks have had success um, at UC. Like it's a outside of Tommy Tuberville, it's pretty pretty, pretty big uh, successful program for a lot of coaches um, before him. But what do you think he's done differently from like the Kellys and the Butch Joneses of the world um, that has made this work uh, to gotten them to that next level? What has he done different, even from Tuberville? Like what did he do differently that set him apart and really has Cincinnati? 
uh, in the college football playoff, which they never did. Like this is something different under Luke Fickle. What, what is the difference? Just because he's he knew the area better and he had just come from that Ohio State tree and was just so familiar and was like all bought in because he's a Midwest guy. He's not chasing other dreams or other offers like he's good here. What is it about Fickle that separates him from the pack of a lot of other great coaches? Well, I think the first thing that stands out is he showed up in Cincinnati and set down roots. Um, and mm. I would say this to people, and look, I, I I would have been very unsurprised if last year he turned out to be the head coach at, at Notre Dame. And, and mm. you know, who knows how things would have unfolded had the Bearcats not been playing for an undefeated season, a, a, shot, a, a spot in the college football playoff. And I mean, but I, I've said, to people for a while. And, and I've always get a weird look like this guy is different. Um, mm. Not that I believe he is going to coach uh, for 25 years at the university of Cincinnati, but I, I could tell you with Brian and with Butch specifically, both of whom did a good job. I think Butch sometimes gets a, a bad rap from people here because I don't, well, I don't think anybody was really sad to see him go. I don't think he did a terrible job by any stretch, mm. but both those guys showed up and instantly you could tell. Uh, I spent a, a lot of time around both. You could tell this was a springboard. This was mm. a stopping off point. Um, there was no getting around that. And for Brian, it was a specific, uh, uh, there was a specific place that he wanted to go. Um, mm. He wanted to go to Notre Dame or maybe coach in the NFL. Um and so, but you knew that, I mean, we knew that I, I could have told you that before he ever coached a, I mean, his first game ever was their bowl game. Cause they had a coaching change, but I, I could have told you that from, from the get go with Butch Jones. I mean, again, it was abundantly obvious. This guy was, he and his agent were angling uh, almost as soon as they started to have any kind of success to, to use it, to go somewhere else. And, and hmm. by the way, that's neat. That's not a criticism of either. Uh, that's just, it's kind of how it works here. And the criticism would be if that's how they were and they didn't win. And Brian Kelly went 34 and six and Butch Jones won a share of two biggies championships. And so I don't begrudge them of that, but with Luke fickle, he's got six kids. He's from this area. His wife loves it here. And I, I genuinely believe he sort of prioritizes happiness. Look, you can win here. You can make a lot of money here. It's a school that has prioritized football to a degree that it never has. You can uh, build a pretty high profile here. And and by the way, I mean, you know, he is a, a pretty successful D1 FBS high-level head coach. He could still move through town rather anonymously. I think that kind of appeals to him, you know. Um, so I, I start with that. Uh, I, I think that has helped his recruiting immensely. They've benefited from continuity. Uh, you know, they had the same coach, quarterback, offensive coordinator, and defensive coordinator for years. Uh, there's finally been some disruption to that, but I, but I would I would start with that, and you know, with Tommy Tuberville, Tommy was j just never really invested in the job, uh, never mm. really invested in the city. You got the sense this was, you know, what I'm out of the pressure cooker that is the SEC. Uh, I'm going to come to Cincinnati. I can win some games here, uh, but you know what I. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm, you know, basically going to spend half my time playing golf. Um, and I don't think Tommy's a bad dude. And and I, you know, he said a lot of things here that uh, I thought were stupid, but he was really feeling the walls close in, but it just, from the get go, you could just tell this wasn't really going to work to the extent that it should. And with Luke fickle, there was a read, you know, sort of a, with the job of UC head coach, you sensed a rededication to the job, 
a rededication to recruiting this area, um, understanding what makes UC football work. And I also think with Luke, he learned a lot from that year that he was the interim head coach at Ohio State, which was, uh, I'm sure, a really rough experience, not all that successful. Uh, He talked a lot about the lessons learned from that job. He obviously coached under great coaches, but I mean, he is, he's the real deal, man. And, and again, I think more than anything, it's just been the fact that he has, you know, I mean, Brian Kelly, Mark D'Antonio was here for three. Brian Kelly was here for three. Butch Jones was here for three. Tommy Tuberville was here for four. Luke fickle been more successful than any of them. And he's about to start year six. That's wild. And, it's already been six. Yeah, that doesn't reflect a lack of interest in him either. Mm. I think it largely does reflect the fact that he loves it here. He's happy here. He understands this is a good job, and he sees the attributes and benefits to staying here. Doesn't mean he's not going to be the head coach somewhere else. I've always sort of wondered if Luke's next job is going to be in the NFL, hmm. but I think that's the biggest difference. Just the, Not only that he has stayed, but that he took the job with the intention of staying until it made sense to go. And for him and his family to this point, it, it hasn't make, uh, hasn't made any sense to go. Interesting. Um, I still have Houston. Like I, uh, I'm not a betting guy, but I, I just look at the schedule and I look at where the AC, AAC is going and different rosters and stuff. Like I think a lot of folks need to prepare themselves for 12 and 0 Houston. I think uh, they're going to be favored in every single game they play this fall, which is pretty wild. Um, and I think they're, it's not going to be the same 12 and 0. So I caution folks because Cincinnati's 12 and 0 was real. And I don't think the same is going to be true for Houston. But, and I also don't think they'll find their way to the playoff uh, under these circumstances. But when you look at Cincinnati, I know you, yeah, I mean, they should be a really good football team again, obviously, and compete for the conference title. But would you be at all surprised if they don't? win uh the conference title and that houston is the the winner of the aac this upcoming year it feels like a three-team race uh uc and houston do not play each other during the regular season i think you have to factor in ucf um mm. who the bearcats do play in orlando but i i think if if you said okay who are the two teams most likely to play for the title you have to say cincinnati and houston and mm. You know, maybe it give Houston a little bit of a leg up. Clayton Toon's going to come back. Um, it, to a degree, it's unfortunate that they don't play against each other. But yeah. you know, I've I might said make the this, championship game more special though if they haven't. No played doubt. Yet. I mean, look, it, it, I've said to people, and Cincinnati fans are really confident right now. But hmm. okay, if you believe they're going to Arkansas and winning, then they're not going to be underdogs against anybody else. You know, now I yeah. mean, they could get you know smoked by Arkansas, but. I mean, if, if you go up and down the, the, the schedule, I, maybe maybe they end up being a slight dog against UCF, but not mm-hmm. significant. But Is right that now, home or away? That's in Orlando. Okay. So right now, I think if you looked at every single game for the Bearcats, you would say they should beat everybody. Obviously, it takes a lot to go undefeated. I don't rule out the possibility that you could have two undefeated teams playing in the AAC title game now. Is the winner of that game going to have a shot at the playoff? And I mean, you know, who knows? But I don't, I don't, I understand the school of thought that says we're going to give Houston a slight leg up on UC in large part because of what UC lost. Mm. But I will say this, if you're giving me close to equal talent and my choice is Luke fickle versus Dana Holgerson, I'm taking Luke fickle. I think that defense should still be really, really good. Um, They ought to be a great running team. They have two NFL tight ends. I think their offensive coordinator change is going to be beneficial because I think they're going to open things up a little bit more just in the running game. 
where they'll be a little bit more dynamic. And their biggest weakness last year was kicker. And, you know, I mean, you go 12 and 0, 13 and 0, you don't have many weaknesses. Their place kicking uh, was dreadful last year. I think that's going to be fixed, which could really help them in close games. Um, the DNA of last year's team is still sprinkled all throughout this one. They've got to figure out some stuff in the secondary, but I think they're going to have a good offensive line and a good running game and good tight ends. And that to me is the perfect sort of runway for uh, a totally inexperienced or a somewhat inexperienced quarterback to get going here. And so, you know, look, the, the, the Arkansas game has no impact on the conference race, but if you think they can beat Arkansas and Again, there are a lot of Bearcat fans who are so confident that they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to Fayetteville and winning then. Oof. All right. I don't know then about that, then, Yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm totally with you. I, I think, look, people, you know, I, I've said if if they go to Arkansas and win, it's it's the biggest non-conference win under Luke Fickle. And people go, what are you talking about? What That's about way Notre bigger Dame? than Notre Dame. I would say that's way bigger than Notre They Dame. were favored to beat Notre Dame. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they should have won that game. They did win that game. They never trailed in that game. Like, you know, it's interesting that week I would have people say to me, why are they favored? How are they favored? And I would say, they got the better team. Right. Well, <laughs> there's seven and a half point dogs on the road. This would be the biggest one. Um, but, you know, again, I think there's a lot of folks who are like, ah, yeah, you know what? They're not playing Bama. They're not playing Georgia. Yeah, it's on the road. We're going to go. All right. If you believe that, then we should be talking about them going 12 and 0. Even if they get smoked. Yeah. I, I do think that the expectation should be for them to play in the conference championship game. And maybe that game is not at Cincinnati this year, but I think anything beyond that would feel like a, uh, would, would feel pretty unfulfilling. And I, I do expect them uh, even if they don't run the table, even if they don't necessarily run the table in the league, I do think they're going to find themselves in the conference championship game. And I, I certainly believe that, all right, who are they going to play? Uh, either UCF or Houston. I I think Houston has uh, the better team. Okay, I like it. Mo, how do the folks keep up with your work and everything you got going on this week? Uh, I do an afternoon radio show on ESPN fifteen thirty in Cincinnati, which is at ESPN fifteen thirty dot com, and I'm uh, I'm on Twitter uh, at Mo Egger. There you go, Mo. Keep up the great work, sir, and thank you so much for making the time today. This was a lot of fun. No problem. Anytime. Thanks. All right, y'all, that'll do it for part one here on the Thursday, July 28th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Thank you again to Mo for coming on today's edition of the program. Uh, Part two coming up right after this on your podcast player, so make sure you stick around for that. Uh, As always, we appreciate you making the Chase Thomas Podcast part of your daily listen wherever and however you listen to this program here on the Blue Wire Pod Network. We greatly appreciate it. Um, If you enjoyed today's episode, please, please, please make sure you leave this show a five-star rating and a review and uh, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or however you get your podcast. It helps other people find the show and it helps this very show continue to grow. All right, part two coming up right after this. Uncle Derek, let's go. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.